kind of an introduction to this author, the context of the letter. Um, James, we know, is the brother of Jesus. He was the leader of the first and largest church in early Christian history. It was probably written 10 to 15 years after the death of Christ, so really fresh words, fresh insight right after Jesus had ascended to the Father. And, and we love James. I love James because it's a practical book. Uh, some, of the, some of the writings of the Bible, either the Old Testament or the New, I, I even feel this way sometimes. You need an advanced degree just to kind of get what the author is saying. Uh, but the book of James is just one of those that anyone can open up and from the first words, we get what he's saying. Uh, it's, hard, it's sometimes harder to make a live in us, but it's easy to understand. It makes sense to us. And that's why James means so much to me as a very practical book in so many ways. So the last time that we met at the end of the message, I challenged each of you to read the, book of, the first chapter of the book of James three times. And then I gave you an extra week to get it done. <laughs> So hopefully everyone remembered that challenge and was able to read it, the first chapter at least three times together, and I would encourage you during the week to continue to read it. Uh, you may get more and more each time that you read it, but we'll read our text this morning, as you saw in the front of your bulletin, James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4 is our text this morning. He says to us these words, consider, or depending on your version, count. It pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance or patience. Let perseverance finish its work in you so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. After our message introduction to James a couple weeks ago, I had one of our dear church members, and I won't share their name because I promised them I wouldn't. It's not a bad thing, though. They texted me, and here it was the, the words from their text. They said, and at first they were letting me know they'd already done their reading. So they shared that first. They said, Pastor, I just read James again, and he says to count trials and temptations as joy. Oh, no, it says joy? Really? Can't I just grumble and complain and feel sorry for myself? <laughs> And I thought, as soon as I read that, I was like, man, that could preach right there. We need that as kind of the beginning of our introduction for this passage. And, and I don't know about James, as I've already said, it's one of my favorite books of the Bible. It's when I feel like things are just a little dry, I know I can turn to James and find something just every day, rubber meets the road, words from the Lord. And so I've read it many times. I've um, memorized it when I was a young teenager And uh, most of it makes a lot of sense to me. You know, there's passages that we'll talk later on about how our speech and our tongue can start. There's places about the Bible talks about praying for healing in the book of James and, and about our position in this world and that we should not think of ourselves more importantly than we ought to. And, and a lot of those things make a lot of sense to us. And they're, for us, pretty easy to understand and pretty easy to grasp. And, and we don't have a, a, a hard time understanding what the author is trying to say. But this text that we just read together this morning is one of those passages that, for me at least, is a little bit more confusing. Because it talks about two polarizations in our life. It talks about joy and it talks about suffering, and he says you can do both at the same time. 
And for many of us, we say, at least in our spirits, say, what? (laughs) How could the author say something so foreign to what many of us know and experience? And what is the author trying to say as we listen to the words that Jesus would like us to hear this morning? And so many times I've read that passage and say, what is What does he mean? How can we have joy in the midst of suffering? And I think, I believe over the years of my Christian life, my definition of joy has probably matured from a place of overabundant happiness and excitement to know God to a realization that sometimes joy can just mean an understanding that God is in control, even when it feels like nothing else is in control. And so we'll talk a little bit about what joy might mean in the context of this writing as we look at together. There's just three ideas I want to share this morning that we could uh, write down in your bulletin if you take notes. And one of them is that this suffering is a certainty that we will all face. James writes in this passage and he says tenderly to his congregation members, my brothers and my sisters, and and looking out to you, that, that gets all of us, right? To my dear friends, when you suffer. And I don't know how it felt for James to write that, knowing that certainly some of his congregation was at that moment hurting, but also to realize that at some point down the road, all of them would hurt for all kinds of different reasons. As a pastor, as a shepherd, that's, that's, a, that's a hard thought to think of and a hard thing to write. At least it would have been for me to know that a lot of people in my congregation are going to have dark days. They're going to suffer. They're going to hurt. They're going to wonder what God is doing. They're going to they're battle this thought of having joy even in the midst of things falling completely apart. There are Christian circles that will teach us and I hope you don't listen to them except to get sermon illustrations like this one that will teach you that if you have enough faith, everything will go right in your life. If you just have enough faith, God will make you rich. If you just have enough faith, God will heal you, and he can. If you just have enough faith, all your problems will go away, and you'll be the happiest person alive, especially if you donate $1,000 to the church at the same time. And that is not what the Bible teaches. That is not what God's word tells us. James is saying to his loved congregation who have been scattered to the winds of the earth because of Christian persecution that you're going to suffer. But I have a prayer and a goal and a desire and an exhortation for you that when those things happen, this is what God would want to do in your heart and in your life. We've walked together, some of us, through surgeries and financial difficulties, and family things, and we've, we've all hurt together because of the sufferings that we've all had. And there are a lot of different ideas that James is trying to get across. I think most potent for that congregation was the fact that because of their Christian testimony, because of their desire to share the word and the message of God's love, they'd been run out of town. They'd been, for some of them, run out of the country. And so it very much was a suffering that was inflicted upon them because of their faithfulness to the message in the Word of God. And that, I believe, is something that you and I, as we are faithful and on fire for God, will see more and more in the days to come. And it shouldn't be something that we shy away from. It shouldn't be something that we shirk from. God calls us to what? He said to go and make disciples. 
Go out into the places where the message isn't, isn't desired. Go out into the places where the message hasn't been received. Go out into the places that the gospel may have never been heard before. And it may just be that because of your faithfulness, things won't go well with you. But the definition of the word trials in this passage really means any kind of suffering. So James isn't just limiting it to the fact that we might have a bad time because of the message. It may just be that life has taken a turn for the worst. And we're really struggling with some circumstances in our life that we are going through right now. And we've talked a lot in the last few months about how God wants to be there for us when we have no idea where he is. When Where is God when we're hurting? Where is God when we can't see him? Where is God when we don't know if he's even real? And he certainly is a very present help in time of trouble. And bad things happen to good people. And so James says that it's going to happen to all of us. There's a certainty that we all are going to face. Another thing that James says, and you'll see it on the screen, is that we have an opportunity, not an obstacle. Now, I've never been one who likes to just spend hours and hours in the original languages, because that's not the way most of you spend your time. But for this passage, I, I knew enough about the words that I needed to do some studying. And what James is trying to teach us in this passage is that, that this is something that we are going to decide to do. And as I studied it more and more, it became harder for me to comprehend, but more easily able to understand that he was trying to teach us is that we have an opportunity when things don't go our way to depend and to lean upon God more or we can choose to doubt and run away. We have an opportunity to grow closer to God. Or we have an opportunity or we have an obstacle placed in front of us that takes us further away from him. And so what James is saying in this passage is make a decision in your mind to choose to believe in the promises of God even when you can't see them, even when it doesn't feel like they're being carried out, even when you're in agony and pain and anguish, choose to believe in the promises of God. Now, I grew up in a kind of a Christian culture that kind of taught this passage as saying that even when things are going bad, God should make you happy and, and smiling and bubbling over all the time. And if you didn't have that, even when things were falling apart or you'd lost a loved one or you'd lost your job, then something was wrong with your faith. And I don't believe that's what James is trying to say here. He's not saying that we're going to just be the happiest people on earth when everything is going, going wrong. If you've ever visited somebody in the hospital when they're about ready to have surgery, they usually aren't bubbly and happy and excited. But as most of you know, you've maybe had the surgery yourself, there's a hope in you that the pain that you're about ready to endure will take away a problem that will help you to be a healthier person. We can face the trials and temptations in life as an opportunity for God to do a work in us, do surgery on our heart in a way that he might not have any other way. Sometimes it might feel like God has ripped out our heart and we don't know if it's ever going to be put back in again. But that is the time where we learn to trust and to believe in the promises of God, even though we can't see him, even though we don't know when the pain will ever 
go away. So he says to be premeditated in your decision to believe this, this is my definition of joy. Joy for me is to believe in the promises of God even when I can't feel them. Even when I can't see their end result coming out is the fact that even when I've lost someone that I love, even if I've lost my job, even if things are falling apart in my family, that God is still in control and God is still in charge. God still has a purpose and a a plan for me, even when it feels like the rug has been totally ripped out from underneath us. Because we have a God who we can believe in, even though we can't see him. I told you a story a number of weeks ago of a, of a van trip with my, with my uncle, and he took me fishing, and, and this was the difference between his life and mine. The things that had gone wrong in his life and the pain and the hurt that he had had was, was just the removal of something that he loved. And the agony and the bitterness and the questions that were left because he had no, no other foundation to build his future on. And the difference was, my pain was just as real and just as deep as anything anyone else has ever felt, but God was on the throne. God was still in charge. There was heaven and eternity to look forward to. And there was a peace that I had in my heart to know that God was in charge that my uncle may to this day still not have. And so what James is telling each of us is that we have a decision to make in our life how we are going to suffer. You ever thought of it like that? I think a lot of the time it just hits us between the eyes and we react. And I'm not saying that that's wrong. It's how a lot of us live our life. And as we journey through our experiences, God is with us and he helps us to learn to react in ways that are beneficial for ourselves and the people around us. But what James is really trying to say, and I think for a lot of years I really missed this, is that this is the decision that you and I decide to make before it ever comes our way. Now, it may be that we read this passage in the middle, and so we're just, we're just adapting our spirits to how God wants us to live. But I think what he's really trying to teach his congregation is that, brothers and sisters, it's coming again. And maybe tomorrow or next year or, or sometime in your life, there's going to be another dark place that you're going to walk through. And you have to determine ahead of time how you're going to face that dark place. Some people decide ahead of time to run. Run from the church, run from God, run from anything that might resemble the, the one place where they can get help. And some people decide ahead of time that they're just going to get angry when things don't go their way. They're predetermined in their own heart in life to throw a fit if it doesn't go the way that they plan to. Can I just tell you it's going to happen? <laughs> and let's choose to believe in the promise of God and the presence of God that even when we are in agony, even when we're afraid, even when we're hurting, even when we just feel like we can't release this burden from our own heart in life, that we can still choose to believe that God will be with us even when it may feel like there's no one else around that has a clue what we're going through. And I think that's why this passage in James is so hard, is that for many of us in the Christian life, there is, there is some place in our journey, as much as the people around us love us, and as much as the people around us want to be a blessing, there is no one that can carry that burden but you. The kind of pain that you feel 
no one else feels but you. And James says that we can make a decision in those moments to be thinking of this in a different way than probably most Christians think of it. So he's saying that to, to count it all joy when you encounter trials. And I don't think James is saying that we should say, Lord, I'm so grateful that I'm so miserable. I've thankfully never heard a Christian pray that kind of a prayer before. But I have Christians say something like this. Lord, I'm thankful that in the middle of all this, you are here. And I've also heard Christians say a lot of times, I'm closer to God in the middle of this storm than I've ever been before. Because of the heart that's turned towards the Lord and a heart that is willing to listen to him finds a certain kind of intimacy and dependence upon God that most likely would never happen any other way. And so James is not only saying that this is a certainty that we're all going to face, and he's not only saying that we have an opportunity to to grow in our walk with God or allow an obstacle to be put in front of our path, but he's also saying, third and lastly, that there is a purpose behind our suffering. I say that with all the tenderness and love that I can because I know that there are just some times where that's the last thing that we want to hear. It raises all kinds of questions of why and how and couldn't God have chosen to do something in me a different way in a different time of my life with someone else. But God is sovereign and we are not. But James is saying not only do you need to make a decision ahead of time to believe in God and to trust his word, but that something's happening in you in the middle of all of this. He says in this passage, to count it all joy when you face trials of many kinds. Why? Because the testing, your your faith is on trial, is what he says. In the King James Version, that the trial of your faith may produce patience. Whether God is putting you on trial or your faith is on trial in the eyes of others, whether we think about it or not, whether we know it or not, people are watching the way we suffer. People are watching the way we walk through dark alleys. And it just may be that your greatest testimony is through your pain. It may just be that your greatest gift that you could give to the church is the hurt that you're going through, the difficult time that you're going through. It could be loss of a loved one or loss of a job and, and your dependence and your willingness to to wait on the Lord and believe in him even when it feels like everything is going wrong may be the greatest story that your life will ever tell. Because it's producing the patience in you that God might produce no other way. So he says, consider all these things. Be ready to trust in the Lord because the trial of your faith produces patience. I remember my grandma said, Lord, give me patience and give it to me right now. But for a lot of us, has it happened right now? Almost never. Almost never. It's been days. It's been weeks. It's been months. It's been years. And it may still be years. And what James is trying to tell us is so much of the time, even as believers, our first reaction is to react and to question, and to run, and to get angry, and get defensive, and put walls up. And God is trying to tell us through the book of James, and through this passage, 
that God is weaving our story together, that there's the thread of grace that God is trying to run through all of our life and certainly on the mountaintops, certainly in the places of victory and triumph and when things are going right and, and life is good, but almost as certainly as the times when things are dark. And times are tough and we are hurting. God is still trying to weave the thread of grace through our lives and in us and use us to be a blessing to the world around us as we serve him. So James said God has a purpose for our suffering. And we have to be okay with hearing that, right? We have to be okay with the realization that that we are not God. (laughs) That's a hard thing for some of us to realize that we're not in charge and there's nothing we can do about it, but it's true for every one of us here. 99% of the things that come across our path that, that, that we would call suffering are things that we have no control over. The only control we have over that is how we respond to the events that come our way, and that's why James is so practical. He says, it's coming. It's gonna come again. But why not be ready for it the next time that it comes to realize as it smacks you between the eyes or that anguish lingers through the years that God is doing something inside of you and through you and for you that would never happen any other way. And he says, so that God works this patient dependence upon him and then it's gonna keep working so that someday you may be complete. It may just be that God's just getting started with you. As long or hard or as painful as this time has been, it may just be that God's still getting your feet wet. It may just be that he's still talking to you about how you respond to circumstances that are beyond your control. And what James is trying to tell us, we're not going to always be happy about it. You visit somebody who's in agony and pain, and they are not happy people. But over and over again in people, those situations, I'll hear them say something like, I know God is in control. I know he's going to be here for me no matter what. And I think that's what the kind of joy that James is talking about is that when we feel like there's nothing left to hang on to, we know in our life that we can hang on to God. And he will always be for, there for us to hold on to and believe in when there's nothing else on this earth to hold on to or believe in. And so this is the difference between the church and the world. The world, when everything goes wrong, they they get angry. Over and over again, look at Job's wife. What did she say to him when everything fell apart? Did she cling to God and draw near to the heart of God? Or did she say, why don't you curse God and die? That is about a joyless person as you can read about in the Bible. She had just lost all of her children. She had just lost all of their fortune. Everything that Job had lost, she had lost. And look at the different kind of reactions that they had. Job wasn't happy. His wife didn't have all the boils that he did. He had the worst of it in many respects, but he chose to believe that God would be with him even when it felt like everything was falling apart. So James is trying to tell the church that as much as he loves us, as much as a pastor could love his congregation, things are going to be hard. You're going to get sick. You're going to lose your job. People that are close to you are going to be called on to the next life. Things are going to fall apart, and life is going to be hard. 
thank God we have each other, amen, for that. And I'm so grateful over these last weeks and months as we've loved and cried and served together and visited each other in the hospital and everything that we have each other. But beyond and above that, we have something greater and someone who is there for us 24-7, who never sleeps or who never has another appointment they have to go to. God is always there for us to depend upon and count upon. And James is saying that as a believer, we should suffer differently than those without the faith. Because God does something to the inner part of who we are that no one else could do. He does something for us that nothing else can do. He stays with us in a way that no one else can stay with us, and he affects us in a way that nothing else could affect us. And I don't know all the ways that we're, that we're to do this. It says, and we'll look at it next week, he talks about asking for wisdom, and maybe that's what we need to do. We'll talk about it next Sunday. If we're facing this or we know that it's coming and we don't know how to do what James is saying, he encourages us next Sunday, read about it, remember three times before next Sunday, (laughs) read about it over and over again, where he points us to next. But the fact of the matter is, is that even when we hurt and we're in agony, God calls us to suffer in a way that brings glory to him. He points us to a place of agony where we hurt, but we still believe that he is in charge no matter what. So don't let someone tell you, and we'll close with this thought, that the Bible tells you to be happy-go-lucky no matter how tough things are. If you have a well-meaning Christian come to you when you're, when, when you're in agony over something that's happening in your life and, and, and it's not caused by your own sin, that's a totally different sermon for another day, but when life circumstances have happened out of your control and you're hurting and you're crushed and you have a Christian come to you and tell you, get over it, don't punch them in the eye. That's not what I'm encouraging you. Don't listen to them. Don't listen to them. That's not what James is saying. He's saying that as we endure those things, there's a patient dependence upon God that grows stronger and stronger as the days go on. It may not mean that the circumstance goes away. That's not what James is talking about. It's that the Holy Spirit does something inside of us that changes who we are and the way that we live. And over and over again, I've read in in history and biographies of people who gave their lives for the gospel. Almost every Sunday, thousands of churches around the world sing the hymns of Fanny Crosby a woman who waited her whole life to have her sight back. And through the centuries, millions of people have been blessed because God allowed her to continue on. Her life made a difference in the life of someone else, even though her circumstances didn't change. And I love the thought of that, that as God kind of brings us to a place of completion, he talks about that, being willing to trust in the Lord and and. Be willing to count it joy even when you suffer because God's doing something that he's going to complete someday. I had a conversation with a family member a few weeks ago and and they don't really believe in God and they don't have faith in the Lord and and they just said someday this is all just going to be over and we'll be gone. Kind of annihilationism in a sense. We just breathe our last breath and that's it. And I was like, no, God's just getting started. 
He's getting us started now for the eternity that he has planned for tomorrow. And are we okay with allowing God to get us started through some tough things? Because it may just be that's where we are today, that we're going through a tough time. It's all going to happen to all of us. It's an opportunity to draw closer and upon him more. It's an opportunity for the church to reach out to each other and to love each other through hard times. And it's an opportunity for us to find a purpose that we may have never had any other way. I wonder as God works on our heart and life and as we learn to trust him and believe in him through the tears, through the questions, that if there might be something in your future or mine that God wants to do through us as we go through this time in our life. So many times we just want to get through it, to get past it, to get over it. And it may just be that God wants to use you through it. Who is there in your life that needs to hear your story? Who is it in your tomorrow that God is going to speak to because of what you're going through today? Who is it in your family, in your school, at your job, in your church, in your community, who God will use you to touch as you tell him how he's worked this patient perseverance out in your own life? And I love that James brings us to this place. It's not get over it. It's not deal with it. It's not this false sense of happiness. It's this simple trust that God is in charge. And we can believe in him and be thankful that he is going to do something in us and through us and with us as we go through this. And it'll never be for naught. God has an eternal plan in mind through your life and through mine, and I'm so grateful that he did. We're going to ask our ushers to come through the car alarms uh, to bring us our uh, communion time together and